Hey science fans, I have another fantastic podcast to recommend to you guys. The Waterline Podcast. Everything you need to know about the science of water. Have we managed to develop the most sustainable irrigation techniques? Can water be the bringer of peace? Can flushing your toilet light up your house? The answer to all of these questions and many more in the Waterline Podcast which is an initiative of the Israel New Tech as part of the Israeli Ministry of Economy and Industry. It's a new podcast that, uh, is, that is created to communicate the many facets of water. So please, check out an episode. I've, uh, I've checked out several. I actually went back and listened to the very first episode, which gives you a nice overview of uh, sources of fresh water all around the world, rivers, lakes, underground sources, and to see how, how delicate they are, how prone they are to contamination. This is exceptionally important stuff for our world and our future, and I highly recommend this podcast. Search Waterline Podcast on iTunes or in your Android podcast app. Just in time for the holidays, I made another episode about consumer behavior and about gift giving and all of that good stuff. Uh, today on the program, I have guest Joe Goodman and Celine Melcoach, both married, both associate professors of marketing at Washington University in St. Louis, which is where I stopped through to interview them uh, for a bit of a twist on the old birds and the bees story. Um, which is we find out that when two researchers uh, quarrel, publications get made. Um, so I think you guys are really going to enjoy this one. It's fun. It's a little bit of a departure from some of the other stuff um, that I've done. We talk about some differences in online um, consuming versus uh, how we used to consume products. We talk about variety and is more options good or bad for us does it help us choose things choose what we want um, we talk about uh, how uh, stores now know if you're pregnant thanks to target without you telling them just by what you purchase we figure out what happens when you tell facebook you're married we talk about familiarity um, uh, we talk about how you can get the most out of a vacation, how you can um, get the most out of remembering um, specific milestones in your life. This is a really, really fun, awesome, informative episode. I hope you guys enjoy it. If you do, please spread the word for me. Share and, and go and give me some feedback on the herewearepodcast.com website. And uh, you can also email um, Joe and Celine and tell them that you enjoyed hearing them on the show so they know that people were listening um, and other than that I appreciate all of you guys listening and your support so thank you very much are we yes where are we here why are we here not entirely clear we are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all it's immensely bizarre here we are hello everybody and welcome to the here we are podcast 
special guests today. We have an, another couple. We're, we're doing this again. This is another recommendation from my friend, Peter McGraw. He recommended uh, Celine Melco- Melcoach. I just looked at the, <laughs> the spelling of your name rather than knowing what the pronunciation was, who is uh, associate professor at uh, the um, uh, University of Washington in St. Louis. Um, and... Um, uh, husband Joe Goodman, the man responsible for um, Celine not being able to help me <laughs> carry my bags. Safe as uh, uh, also, associate professor of marketing at Washington University, not University of Washington, Washington University in St. Louis. Um, how are you doing, guys? Doing well. Thanks for coming on. So uh, what I was really curious about was how has... Um, uh, it it just got me thinking. How has online um, shopping and everything changed? Because when you started, it was like kind of a newish thing. Still, malls and everything were the big deal, and you know, Best Buy wasn't worried about going out of business and all of that stuff. Um, have you have you noticed? Um, I I know this isn't exactly your research, but I was just curious. Have you noticed any differences in consumer behavior? And the shift to going online? I don't know. Like, your question makes me think about one of your prior guests. As I was a doctoral student, Dan Ariely had just finished uh, his PhD at Duke, and we were reading one of his articles. I, I, one of my advisors was at Duke, and his famous paper back then was like, how online actually doesn't change much. He had this, like, because back then the very biggest worry was price sensitivity, and people would be now so price sensitive, with price search being so easy. And I think since that article being published in 2000, the wisdom has changed a lot. The lighting online world did change consumer behavior quite a bit. If anything, I feel like it made it easier for people to deal with information. Mm. I think we, we all know from a bunch of research that we are limited processors. We cannot process a lot of information. But I feel like being exposed to so much information online on a regular basis, we are becoming a little bit better at processing information. And, and being able to compare things, at least on a local level, like if I'm just comparing a phone, being able to go to multiple different information sites and just kind of integrate that information, which I think is a skill that consumers in general didn't have 15 years ago. Hmm. Yeah, and we also have to, uh, now as a consumer, we, we also have to make the decision not just of what I want to buy, but when I want to have it. So before it was just I went out and then I, I would, if I saw it there and I would buy it. And so it actually reminds me of Celine's research and, and dissertation of, you know, you decide to buy something and then you end up in the shipping stage. You're like, well, do I want it tomorrow? Do I want it the next day? Do I want it? Am I willing to wait a week? You know, am I willing to pay $5 or now Amazon? You know, you used to pay more to get something sooner, but now I can have some everything in two days for free on Prime. Mm-hmm. And now they start to say, well, if you're willing to wait five days, we'll give you a credit for a dollar or for $2. So now it becomes a totally different question. Am I willing to get something extra to wait a couple of days? And, you know, all I wanted was, a, a, I don't know, a, 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 a new book pen or, or book. Yeah. yeah. And it's turned into this very complicated decision of, of do I, you know, when do I want the book exactly? Should I start reading it tomorrow or not? And so what did you find in your research? So what we have ended up finding is when you are delaying from the present, meaning oh, the default is to have it delivered soon and then I can delay it to have it later. People are actually more impatient than when the default is to have it later 
but now I have the option to speed the delivery. Mm. So it actually matters where you start in general, and it leads to different levels of impatience and willingness to pay for that shipping. And we find that that's partially because of how you represent that product. Like once I tell you that you can have your boombox tomorrow, I actually have a level of impatience and attachment to that product that is much more difficult to delay now. But if I tell you that it's coming in 10 days, now you're just like, oh, okay, I can imagine it only in 10 days. And I have that less of that emotional attachment and representations coming with it. So it's a little bit easier to say, oh, I can wait. I don't need to pay more. Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. Because part of the thing with online for me is I, I think I would, I probably buy more often. I find myself being a consumer because I'll be like, oh, that book sounds interesting or something like that. Quick, throw it on Amazon, boom, order it. But at the same time, I'm not sure if I'm necessarily buying more stuff because if I instead were to go to a bookstore, I would see other things. It's like going to a grocery store when you're hungry or whatever. You don't go go and get exactly what you want. But online, I only get exactly what I want, usually. Uh, if you like this, you may <laughs> other like this other. That, I don't fall for that as much. But, um, but yeah, so I, I guess it's there's a little bit of a balance. Um, but it's interesting with the, you're saying all the choices in the in the shipping and all of the complicated consumer choices. Um, I saw some of your work with um, uh, you did some work with variety um, yep. and its effect on consuming. Mm-hmm. I read something a while back. It was like I don't know if this is Dan Ariely's work or Caneman uh, or something like that, but um, it's about like a bunch of different jams right, in the right. grocery store. Are you familiar with Sheena that? Sheena Yangar's work. Who is that? Sheena Yangar. Oh, okay. Is at Columbia. Um, and I, I forget what the conclusion was. It was just like, it. Ah, yeah. It. So, so what they show is that if you, uh, well, the, the specific jam study is they set up a, a jams in the grocery store, and it was samples, and they either laid out six samples or thirty samples. And when they put 30 samples out there, more people went and sampled the jams. Okay, so having more assortment, having more choices, attracts customers, attracts them to the store. And there's other research showing this as well. And Celine and I have a paper as well showing that, you know, if you ask people, do you want to, you need to buy a blender, you can have six blenders, you can go to store A with six blenders, you can go to store B with 30 blenders. People say, you know, 90% of people say store B with 30 blenders. Now, in the Iyengar and Leper paper, what they showed is that after they sampled, though, the 30 jams, people bought less jam than they did in the six jam with this. OK, this is great. I love all these jams. And now when I have to make a decision, I say, you know what? There's, I don't know which jam I want. You know, I, before it was a rather simple decision. Um, and a bunch of other research has shown that as well, that you're attracted to this large assortment. But then once you get to the store with 30 blenders, you kind of have paralysis. You can't decide what it is. It becomes more difficult. And you say, you know, maybe I don't need a blender afterwards. I'll just have my margarita on the rocks or something. Yeah, like just throw your hands up. <laughs> Screw it. Um, is, is this, because you do some work with, like, um, the heuristics and superstition of of consumer decision-making, right? And, and, and am I thinking of 
so when I hear heuristic, I think like kind of like a program, like a mechanism, like a rule of thumb sort of right. thing in the brain. Is yeah, or a shortcut, a rule of thumb. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, it's yeah, it's, it can be harder than uh, as well to use some of these heuristics when you're faced with a, a whole bunch of choice as well. Uh, and so, yeah, a lot of the decisions that we make are just based on some shortcut or some heuristic that we have. Maybe there's always a jam that you go and buy, and that's the rule. I just buy the same one that I bought last time, or I buy the one that's on sale. But as soon as I interrupt that and all of a sudden give you more assortment, or I have a paper where I give people a, um, uh, an article where we would tell people about what the best seller is, and we put a sign on it. I've interrupted that decision process. So now the heuristic that you'd used to use, used to use may not apply. Whoa, this is a bestseller. Maybe I should buy that one. Maybe I should do that. And so that adds difficulty. You revisit it. And now all this processing and we don't like that. It becomes a difficult decision and hmm. uh, we're less likely to buy. Which is an issue in online setup too, right? Like what online did for us is like increase the amount of options we have. You want to go to Best Buy, there's only 12 computers available there. You go to Amazon, there's like 1,200 wow. computers that you can buy from. So the assortment gets larger. And I think what Joe tries to do, many of his like assortment work is like try to find ways to make that decision easier. And ironically, I think that papers, I find it so cool is because like the thing that you think is going to make it easier and people think it, it is used for that, like I'll give you recommendations it ends up actually backfiring more than helping. It is. It's so Correct interesting. People don't think about like when uh, how uh, how little our how much our brains hate having to work. Yeah, <laughs> you know, even on just this non-conscious or uh, level or you know whatever you want to call it. Um, it that it's it really is. <laughs> it's uh it's kind of insane how. Um, I don't know. Do you call it lazy or efficient? It's 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 tough to say. Um, it's both, I suppose. I mean, they are extremely. Our brains are very very efficient in processing information in a way that it's used to. But the minute you disrupt that, as Joe was saying, like you know, I have a way of processing the information, and then it's like, whoa! Now I have to start from beginning. I have <laughs> to go back to an effortful way of making decisions, and then it's oftentimes many brains fail, if not all. Mm. And you make those bad decisions or you wave your hands and say like, no, 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 I'm not going to make a decision. Mm. Go away. And I just call it lazy too. I mean, we are, we're, we, we try to be as efficient and minimize our effort as much as possible. I'm just trying to think I sometimes sell, I've talked about this before. I sometimes sell merchandise after shows. I have these stupid little mustaches that clip onto beers and then you drink it and you have a mustache <laughs> it's adorable um you get one of those but i have eight different uh oh, i wonder if i have one with me i do in my car i'll give you one afterwards um i have eight different colors and then and then some i see this research i'm like well maybe i should just have the two colors black and pink which is what everyone goes for normally i don't know if i'm drawing maybe i'm drawing people in with uh <laughs> with the eight, but maybe I'm losing sales ultimately. Even mustache color is pretty difficult decision too. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. It's life or death, really. <laughs> um, you know, I wanted to ask you. I, I'm I'm going to jump around because this just popped in into my head, and this is again, sorry for being something kind of unrelated to um, y your specifically your work, but I was curious. 
how's Target um, figured out that you're pregnant? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Are you getting the coupons for the diapers and all of that stuff? Yes, I think we are getting it from Target, but also from like all sorts of other lists. I think they, I don't know if they figured it they out. They all caught on, like, I'm sure. Now, by now, I think you go by one thing and then you get on a list and they give this list to like bigazillion other people. And then before you know it, you're bombarded by like nursery stuff. And For the listeners, I'm referencing this. It's kind of like a famous um, computer science thing that ha- happened with Target years ago that they were trying to figure out how to hook pregnant women in because they are, they're a huge, um, uh, moneymaker. And so they, uh, they, they figured out that if you, if someone's buying like a specific vitamin and like a little bit larger handbag and like some other weird random thing that you wouldn't put together, it's like, well, that person's three months pregnant or something like that. And they start sending you coupons. Now my brother's a, uh, a, um, a computer scientist and project manager at um, Kohl's, which I don't know if you have Kohl's yeah, yeah. on here, but but anyway, so they're all they're all trying to full, get in on that full uh, disclosure. Yeah, I think Amazon was pretty quick to figure it out. Facebook, of course, you know, I always tell my students, um, you know, for fun, I, I, I should require this as a project: is go to your Facebook account and and tell it that you're married or that you're engaged. Actually, even better. Now, it'll be fun to see your friend's reaction, but for our purposes is just see how all the advertisements on, you know, on Facebook change. And all of a sudden, you know, you're getting oh, vacations, you're getting, you know, rings, you're getting advertisements for dresses and, and cakes. it's gender specific. Ah. Like if you get engaged, right? It's, if you're in a Every serious relationship. Every listener do this right now. <laughs> just mess with Facebook. To get, like rings. The minute you get engaged, I start to get like the whole, you know, here is the wedding menus and the wedding gowns and the <laughs> shoes. And, and what's amazing is that then you get married. Literally, the next day, you start to get the baby stuff. They assume that you just got married. Uh, now you should get pregnant. I, I like that they're so traditional, too. They didn't, they didn't assume any mistakes were made along the way. It's just, they, you know, that, that's, uh, that's very amazing. I never really thought about that. I, I went, when I hurt myself in May, I looked around for a day or two for custom canes. Um, and I, I probably looked at like two or three different sites looking for a cane. And to this day, I still get Facebook ads like, hey, need a cane? And like, <laughs> what? Why would I, how many a, canes do you think I need? It would be a motor scooter or something. <laughs> that <you> need, <laughs> yeah, <you know>? yeah. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Um, that, and that kind of reminds me of, this is something I've been thinking a bit about. Um, since I had on, cause I saw Joe, you did some work with, um, um, I think it's Joe, what, one of you two with Morgan Ward. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, with the song, um, yeah. uh, familiarity. I talked to her a little bit about that. Um, oh, great. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, that was about the, the, what we showed was, uh, and found is that, uh, people, obviously they like to listen to music that they like mm-hmm. um and then we also like to listen to music that we're familiar with but w- what we found was that people will listen to music that they're familiar with regardless of even if they like the song 
So we'd ask people how much they like a song and we'd even give them playlists, like a group of songs that would be that they liked less, but then they were more familiar with. And then when it came down to choice of what they actually wanted to listen to, they'd listen to the familiar stuff over the stuff that they liked. Ah, finally, a reasonable explanation for why I'm singing Hit Me Baby one more time <laughs> in the shower. Um, I, I, it was interesting just because I, it, it, you know, and, and kind of the point of this podcast is it hopefully makes people view the world a little bit differently, some of this stuff. But I've been driving around a lot because I've been listening to more music. I've been diversifying a lot. But then, like coming here today and I'm thinking about what I want to talk about, I just wanted something that, again, just my lazy brain didn't want to think about or whatever. I just put on, like, Beethoven on Pandora because I, I don't know anything about Beethoven. And it's just, like, enough stimulation mm-hmm. where it's, like, it's not distracting. or any, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't know if it's Beethoven playing or not. I just know it's something like that, and it's kind of in the background. Um, but I was thinking about that. I was sitting in a coffee shop um, looking over some of your guys' research and and um, and that in particular, and I was I was checking out this barista, right? And um, it, things are gonna get creepy in a hurry here. <laughs> um, and but it was just it, caught, it, it I don't know. She just, just something about her struck me, and I didn't know what it was. And and I was trying, and I always look at things from like an evolutionary um, angle. So I'm like looking for symmetry and like fertility cues and all of this stuff. Um, and, but I was thinking of how, I, I don't know if you guys are familiar, but if you put like, if you just combine a whole bunch of faces together, that's like a very attractive person because it's kind of eliminated all of the various imperfections. So, so quote unquote, beauty is the absence of imperfections. And I was thinking about that. I'm like, but not this girl. There's like something like distinct about like her jawline and her eyebrows and it's definitely not an average and then I realized, I was like, you know what? She looks a little bit like this girl that I had a crush on in high school. Uh, and I think that's why. And it was this familiarity thing. And it made me think of your music study. And then it made me think of, um, I interviewed um, Rob Tanner. I'm, I don't know if you know him, in um, the University of Madison. And he did some face recognition stuff, morphing um, trustworthy faces with a regular person and that per- people will on site say they trust that person more um Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean the power familiarity is is a really powerful thing in in a lot of things we do and i think um marketers also kind of we know about a little bit but the public underestimates the power we just we just like things that we're familiar with i mean this is and this has been shown in psychology and decades ago whether it's music that you've heard or a melody or a person or a face like you said you know you recognize the jawline uh, or something about it, or is a haircut, or w- whatever it might be, or even a joke, and or a movie, right? And it's just you a, a, a familiar joke or a, a familiar pattern of a joke or something. You might you're you're gonna like it, and that's partly because it's easier to process, and it's just a fluency thing. So when some, things are familiar, we process it easier. We it goes back to being lazy, right? We want to be lazy. We want to have something that's easy to process, and so we like it more. We're more likely to buy it, more likely to laugh at the joke, more likely to to have fun. Um, and you know, that's kind of why we're addicted to pop music, but we don't want to admit it. It's just, it's familiar. And then we listen to it and then you, you want to change the channel, but it's just, it's the same thing over and you, you keep listening. 
Hmm. Um, well, this is going to be a, a bit of, I, I'm going to need to work on my transitions, but speaking of having fun, <laughs> I, I was, <laughs> I, I was, uh, I, I'm now thinking of, um, my brain just jumps all over the place, but I'm thinking of some of your work, Celine, with, um, well, a couple things. First off, I'm thinking of um, the stuff with the leisure and um, the planning um, that that you sent me. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, uh, part of being married to an academic is a lot of the research project starts when we butt heads about what we should do in our consumption. Mm-hmm. So we each of our theories, and we know a lot, right? This is what we do day in and day out. Can I stop you just for a second? Sure. Uh, uh, do you guys drive each other crazy <laughs> with this stuff? <laughs> What's uh, because to me, I all every every relationship I've ever been in, I've always driven um, my girlfriends away with babbling on about. But it's also something that they aren't necessary babbling on about science stuff, and they aren't interested. Is it different when both of you are interested in the same thing, or you, or do you get bored with? It? Do you get excited about it because you guys work on some projects together and everything, right? I think if you were married to non-academics, life would have been much harder. Okay. I, the ability to be able to like be nerds with each other, even in random places, I think is just like a huge part of the fun that we have. And it also drives people with us sometimes crazy. Ah. Like my sister and my brother-in-law or Joe's sisters, like when they're hanging around with us, we sometimes get into our own lingo. And they're just like, stop it. Take your professor hat off. And we're just having dinner here. Like, stop analyzing every little thing. (laughs) But I think it has a downside of sometimes just like, you know, you have to step out and like go back to normalness. And that's a little bit harder when you're both academics. But Uh, I don't know what you think, Joe. Yeah, I mean, we have our yeah, we have our we insights. Have to be on. honest, Joe. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> on the record. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it will be interesting too uh, with our our son um, how that exposure will go to his vocabulary and his normal conversations with with human beings outside the house. He's going to he know the word up. heuristic before <laughs> yeah. any other child. Or he's going to go and say, just like, but your behavior just regressed to the mean here. It's not <laughs> interesting. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. I dated a geochemist who got a PhD from MIT in geochemistry because she likes rhyming, but um, uh, (laughs) she was always so bored by the, well, she's so fried by the end of the day that I think that's why she liked hanging out with me because she was just like, well, here's this dopey dude that I don't have to think about work with. <laughs> but then little did she know I was super interested in science and then she hated hearing about science from me too. Um, yeah, I mean, if we were chemists or mathematicians, I don't know, it might be, you know, it might be a different story. But this is, it's being a, a, a social scientist and consumer behavior, we're always kind of like reflecting around the world that's going on, whether it's in a restaurant or like, I like going to, most people hate going to the grocery store. I like going there because it's like a little lab. I just kind of reflect and think about the world. So it's yeah. it might be a little bit different if you're, you know, thinking about atoms or neurons or something. Well, that that's bringing me to another thing, and I already, uh, well, because I cut you off with the leisure and the planning. Um, so let, let's 
I guess we should probably address that because now I want to talk about the um, your other work, the experiential um, versus um, the possessions as well. So, so that too started from a family conflict. Both <laughs> okay. of them were actually us having disagreements. So we both got promoted uh, about a year and a half ago. Right? And uh, we just like both, and at the same time, so we were like celebrating this live event. And we said, we should mark this occasion. And I went to Joe's office and I said, Joe, we should just go buy something big and memorable and this is going to be great. And I said, haven't you read my papers? <laughs> they show that you're supposed to buy experiences, not material things. Right. This is, and this is very, like, you'll read a lot about this, about um, kind of, uh, it kind of ties into, like, passive leisure versus active leisure stuff. Like, you're going to get a lot more enjoyment out of going for a hike, considering you don't break yourself, um, <laughs> as opposed to just sitting there watching TV. And in the same sense, like buying um, another uh, gadget or dress or whatever it might be might not be as fulfilling as taking a trip or um, going out to eat, like like you said. Which is why. So so this was like the standard model, right? right? And then Selene, you said, and I mean, and Joe has research showing that like right. you should actually be buying experiences. You adapt. Adaptation takes longer to those activities, so they bring like long-term happiness. And he he just keeps on citing these things to me. And I said, no, 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 but there might be something different here. Maybe when we are marking important things, we should just buy products. And note that I might just be pushing my own agenda here and not necessarily have a theory (laughs) at this point, but I just want some... Some of the things that we wanted for a while. We wanted some diamonds. Maybe a a watch. Yeah. I don't know. And then this one. It's it's funny that you guys have an awesome relationship because (laughs) you're you're trying to call BS and then she's like, well, I'm going to do studies. I'm going to I'm going to get random people on Amazon involved. And Uh, and this was actually Joe was upset with me going against him on this. It's just like, let's prove this <laughs> otherwise. Like, I'm going to take this to the lab. Show and, me the data. And show me the data. And, and <laughs> so we did. And it turns out we were both right. It just depended on the time perspective that you took. Uh, so can you explain that? So if uh, initially experiences, so celebrating, going out and you know having a big party tends to be uh, lead to more happiness. But as time goes on, that happiness decays and uh, the material purchase, actually, your, your happiness and excitement stays about constant. And that's because material things help us uh, remember things better. So the, Like a sense memory, sort of? Yeah, so like if you buy a watch uh, or if think about graduation, you know, you can go out and have a big party or you can go out and maybe buy a class ring or a watch or something to remember that event. Now, the party's going to be a lot more fun at first. But over time, it doesn't really help you mark the graduation. That watch, when you look back on it 10, 15, 20 years, has been reminding you of this graduation or a PhD or a promotion or whatever it is. So over time, if you look at people, the, the watch ends up being better than, than mm. the experience. Unless it reminds me uh, you of when you were the captain of the football team and now you're working at the gas station. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. so, this would be a po- probably a positive memory. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, that, that did make me think of, um, a few things. Cause I've talked on, uh, the podcast before, uh, um, like, uh, June Gruber episode that she works on emotions, um, 
I talked about the strange feeling that I had when I like my dream, my big dream came true. I had this big goal of doing this half hour special on Comedy Central when I was a little kid. I always watched these things. And then when it happened, it was just like kind of not. It's just like, you know, sometimes you reach goals in life and it's like, oh, that's all that it was. I thought it was going to like make me complete. And that's not always the case. Um, and so and she offered a variety of interesting explanations, but it did make me think because I threw a party um, afterwards and it really was amazing. It was it was great, but I really have to be effortful to try to remember how much fun that was. I should have bought myself something pretty. Instead. And it turns out you're not alone. We found this pattern that indeed over time, because we basically, it, the effect turned around in like several years. Yeah, it takes it's years. Like, it takes years for basically the reversal to take place or for the decay to take place for the experiences and for material to hold their value. And people don't intuit that. When you ask people what you should do, if I give you $1,000, would you go on a vacation or would you just go buy yourself a piece of jewelry? People actually want to go to vacations and they think, it will make them happier now. It will also make them happier in 20 years. Mm. So they actually mispredict that altogether. And we find that that misprediction is also happening because while they intuit the decay in memory, they actually know that things will become less and less memorable over time. They don't think that material products will make things more memorable or withhold that decay a little bit back. Uh, the durability of material things, the fact that it's still going to be here in 10 or 20 years to remind you of that. Mm. that show or that graduation. Yeah. So if you remind people of durability of, of, of things, their predictions become a little bit less biased. They're then more likely to say like, oh, maybe I should you know, predict that material things will make me happier in the long run. Do pictures help? <laughs> Do, does it like, because now I'm, I would hate to encourage this, but, but um, you know, you see all of these people taking pictures of their experiences, you know, of like, the plate of food that they had or what I don't know why people have to show me their plates of food that they had all the time. Sorry if you guys do that, but, uh, it's Actually, <laughs> good. So we can rip on them. Um, but now like, well, maybe that's, maybe that is helping them remember some of these. Yeah. Then there's, there's some of evidence of this. There's other research, uh, by Gauls Auberman, um, as well. And uh, Kristen Deal have been showing this as well about taking pictures and, um, Rebecca Ratner has some work with Gaul as well, that pictures from vacations and, and other things do help with the memory of it. And so that's kind of the reason that, that material things happen. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to tell people don't do any experiences and don't go out and celebrate at all. Uh, it, but if you do anything that can help with the memory part of it, um, maybe even buying some token or some souvenir to help remind you of that vacation might help uh, m mitigate that decay. Mm. And so th there is evidence of that. But I think the important thing is like if you take a picture and it stays in your phone and you never look at it, right? That's not going to be of value. Or if you post it on Instagram and then. Within 10 minutes, there is another 40 pictures and you will never see this again. I don't think that's going to have the protective effect. If you take the picture, print it and put it on your wall, now it's a different story because that, again, will keep on triggering the memory and just like help maintain the memory of, of that big event that you're trying to mark. Hmm. I'm, like, I'm not a very sentimental person at all. And uh, I feel like maybe I should put more effort into um, appreciating appreciating those things, but it does make me think of, um, uh, I, I do a lot of 
fair amount of these comedy festivals. Comedy festivals are often like a lot of the top comics around will get together in some city and and uh, you know do shows and stuff. But for us, it's like this huge party for you know a week long or whatever. There will be a hundred of us together, and um, lots of fun, great time, and you know like everything that memory fades a little bit. But what's nice is that I. I never keep anything. I never keep like newspaper clippings or anything like that. I have like one award that I keep, but then there's these lanyards, um, like these uh, these laminates, these badges that they give you. At um, Celine is p- pointing to a, a wall of <laughs> conference badges. Ah, and since the first one I've gone to. I've been keeping them all. Really? Uh, and I, you know, uh, they're always like in a box somewhere. But then when I move or like rearrange things and organize things, I go through them. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, I have had a pretty interesting life. So I guess, I, yeah, and that's like, that's a free thing. That didn't cost me near as much as all of the drinks and everything else that I <laughs> that I bought did. Um, and And so... Uh, back to that, that goes nice and nicely enough into back to leisure and, and planning if and I'm, traveling and traveling. This, this idea actually that we're alluding to was, I think more Joe's pushing than my doing, although it ended up my project and his was when we were taking a little sabbatical to San Diego for like a month, a couple of years ago, we went there. You see San Diego folks are very welcoming. They give us nice offices. We've got a lot of good friends that are academics. So we're hanging out there. We're going into the office, half day work in December. The other half, we're hanging out with our son. Life is beautiful. But the thing is, there's a lot of things we want to do while we're there. And Joe started to encourage me, being the planner uh, he is. He's coming from a long lineage of planners and schedulers. (laughs) it's just like, okay, we have to basically start putting things on our schedule so that we make sure that they get done. I said, what do you mean? He's like, well, you know, have you want to have dinner with Ireland? Put that down. You want to go to the zoo? Put that down. You want to walk down on the toy pines and get that hike in, and you have to put that down. Otherwise, days will roll, and we'll never do them. I'm like, but Joe, it just feels wrong. I don't want to put them on my calendar. When I put them on my calendar, they don't feel like fun anymore. We had this like long debated discussion and he's just like, no, you have to put it. Otherwise, you'll never get done. And I'm like, no, no, no. If I put it in now, I will not be excited about them anymore. This went on enough that I came back from that trip that I grabbed one of our doctoral students who I know is interested in these similar topics. And I said, we're doing this. I'm going to show Joe that he's wrong. Uh, I have to show him that he's wrong. There is something about scheduling that takes some of the utility away. I, I, I like to think that all of Einstein's ideas were just arguments that he had. <laughs> with, <laughs> um, so that's amazing. So what did you find? So what we found was... Sorry, that would mean Celine in this analogy is Einstein. And that would be <laughs> accurate. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, I don't want to take it to the Einstein level. But in this particular (laughs) case, it turned out that my intuition was not incorrect in the sense that when we scheduled leisure activities, they indeed take qualities of work. So we simply ask people either to imagine doing something spontaneously or impromptu or if this is a leisure activity that has been scheduled. And it doesn't have to be scheduled months in advance. We normally, like a couple of days is, is what we study. And we ask people then how much... It feels like certain things, like does it feel like work? Does it feel like chore? Does it feel effortful? Does it feel like 
a responsibility, an obligation. And it turns out the minute something is scheduled, it really does feel more like all those bad things. And mm. furthermore, it also feels less exciting. People feel less enthusiastic, more reluctant. They want to more likely to cancel these events and so forth. Um, so it's been a pretty robust effect uh, that indeed work, like scheduling makes things feel a little bit more like work. So how does it feel when science proves you wrong <laughs> as an individual? Well, I, I still feel like I uh, contributed to the scientific process. So. <laughs> if he has never pushed me, we would have never done it. Uh, that's true. It, 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 um, it's inter- I guess it makes me feel a little better about my way of living my life, which is I never have a schedule and I'm very laid back and I just I I feel I do often feel like I need to force myself to all right you got to get out and do something today and not just sit in your hotel room or whatever but um but oftentimes I I have like a fairly leisurely flexible um schedule and I sometimes feel guilty about it so now I don't feel as guilty <laughs> um but uh what about this though? If if someone's coming to visit you, okay, and you're gonna show them around the city, I've thought about this a lot with, um, uh, you know, various places that I've lived and having visitors, where where you will have sometimes it's like, oh, we're trying to pack too much in, and this this is uh, it's just it takes the fun out of it. What do you recommend? I say, I say you. Being the host, you host Joe's way, but you don't tell people there's a schedule. You put together a schedule, and then you surprise people with it. Yeah. No, I think it's probably a good way to go. And very related to that is what we have found, because this is a little depressing, right? It's just like scheduling, which is something that we are recommended to do all the time, actually takes some of the fun out. So we wanted to find, like, can we mitigate it a little and we found that if you actually make only rough plans, so say, oh, we're going to hang out Tuesday afternoon, that doesn't have the same negative imposition on things as saying, I'll see you from 2 to 3.30 on Tuesday. Oh, okay. So just keeping things rough actually takes a lot of that negativity out. Hmm. And I think it goes back to your question that doing things Joe's way, I can actually have a plan that I kind of want to be there to get the tickets to Arch at three. I know that as the host, but I basically tell them, you know, we'll go there in the afternoon. And I carry this stress as the host and they just get to. It's like the. Um, um, oh, no, I'm, for, I'm forgetting the, the like the, the pain of paying sort of thing where where. Uh, one person takes the hit uh, on paying the bill, and uh, sorry, I'm getting some. Um, I, th- I think my cell phone sometimes interferes with the signal, and that was what was just happening right there. And I was a little bit distracted. Um, <laughs> yeah, it made me think of the pain of paying. Whereas if just one person takes the hit, it's not so bad if you're already paying and just a little bit more. If you're going to be going out with these friends a lot. Um, it, then only one person has to yes. feel that pain. Say if you're a host, because if you're a host, I mean, uh, 
your pleasure isn't so much from the experience. You've probably already done all of these things before that you're taking someone around to. So the pleasure that you're deriving out of it is vicariously through yeah, other people. The social interaction from it. Yeah. So, you, you know, that's another reason to take care of your so host. So you're both right. <laughs> there you go. The answer oftentimes comes down to we are both right. We just end up knowing one who is right. <laughs> right. That's interesting. Right. Yeah. I mean, with the celebration commemoration, it's he's definitely right with the short run thing. It was the memory aspect that was changing things. With this one, I think Joe's intuition is still correct. We have not looked at it in our project that if we actually schedule it, probably you are still more likely to do that than if you've never scheduled it. But given that you scheduled it, you feel less excited towards it. So both of the things are probably happening. We just focus on the excitement and work piece of it. Hmm. Yeah. And there's, you know, these are general effects too. I'd, I'll still throw it out there that there's there's a possibility that certain people... <laughs> Certain German friends. Yeah, and, and you know, some members of my family as well. The anxiety of an unplanned day is is just so difficult for them that, you know, we might not recommend right. uh, having having an, an unscheduled Always day. Always individual differences. <laughs> right, we, right. We don't, we don't want to paint with broad uh, brushes yeah. here about people's um, willy-nilly um, experiences and, and who's going to like that and who's not. Um, I'm going, uh, uh, before we start wrapping up here, um, uh, uh, charity of the week. It's, uh, save the children, save the children.org. That's the best charity ever. It's like <laughs> save the children. Nope. I'm against, <laughs> I'm against saving. Like, the children. I have one at home. I have one with me all the time now for the next month or so. So I just cannot stop thinking about children, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course. Um, so uh, when are you due? Right around Thanksgiving? Uh, right after Thanksgiving, beginning right of December. Thanksgiving. All right. And Joe is a Thanksgiving baby, so we might have two Thanksgiving babies. Oh, wow. That's interesting. And how, how's this changed, like, the holiday plans and everything? Are, you're waiting to do the Christmas cards until... After you have the, are you gonna be like? It'll be the usual, room? like uh, do Christmas cards around February, you know, and <laughs> you get around. To, oh, maybe we should we still do that? I've never sent out a Christmas card to anybody. I feel like a bad You've person. We've done it a grand total of a single time. That was the year our son was born, <laughs> and then we're like, okay, this is so much work. It is a lot of work, and I don't. It doesn't do a whole lot for when I receive them. I'm like, oh, cool! I was on a list. Of Maybe we can just do nice. a quick audio one to all bad. of our friends right now. <laughs> Have a happy holiday. <laughs> yeah, anybody listening? Happy holidays. Uh, Keep in touch. So, how does uh, how does your research um, affect one uh, kind of when you're when you're going out and buying stuff? for your children and I, I talked to Morgan a little bit about this as well and uh, we we just touched on like when I was in high school if my parents just would have bought me those Air Jordans and maybe I wouldn't have been beat up so much but you know <laughs> from a utilitarian point of view it seems like this huge waste of money but who knows maybe it is worth it to um, get these uh, Jabot jeans or whatever is extremely important in that generation. 
Um, I get that reference. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I, I like that's the second podcast now that I've gotten to throw out Jabot jeans, which is a thing <laughs> that no one's ever heard of except for me in middle school, and it was very important in my life at the time. Still scarred. <laughs> um, so, one, how, how does how does your research would you say guide some of your um, choices with like consumption when you're going into um, uh, you know, you know, getting baby clothes, getting all of that stuff, uh, shopping around for those things. And two, I'm curious if um, what insights you'll kind of start trying to instill. I don't know if you can see this far ahead yet, but in your children, once they start kind of asking these questions, once they start being like, "I want this toy," "I want that toy," when you're taking mm-hmm. them through the mall and how you're going to handle that. Well, I, so I do have, I've been starting some, some research on, on gift giving and, um, we've also found that experiences lead to more happiness when it comes to gift giving as well. Uh, but the, the, the troubling thing is get that is experiences versus more material things. The trouble is that most of the gifts that we give, especially Christmas and holiday gifts are material. They're, you know, they're like 80% of them are material and everything we see is about, you know, boxes and materials material gifts that you can touch and actually give to somebody. But it turns out experiences are, are uh, lead to more happiness, even though the uh, givers don't really predict it and receivers don't um, oftentimes predict it ahead of time, but afterwards they want it. So I think whenever you can give people an experience, it's a good thing, but they have to be socially close. They have to, you have to know enough about that person. Like, I, you know, I need to know exactly what type of music to get the concert tickets for him or, you know, what type of punk are you into hardcore punk or are you into, you know, you know, nouveau punk or is this indie punk? And so you got to know the person pretty well to. to yeah, Morgan and I talked about making sure you're getting something they like, right. and not the, you projecting your. Well, right, which is Morgan's the, some great research on this is that people tend to get people what what they want. And so it's like, oh, but I'm, you know, I'm into indie rock, so I'm going to get Here's a concert ticket for you, but it's really you'll I just like want, this once you see it. I don't want you to come with me to the concert, really. <laughs> that is a strange thing about the human condition that we can't just like enjoy the things that we enjoy with that. It's like so necessary that everyone else must be in agreement and like the white stripes or whatever is as well. Um, I think the same thing carries towards our son that we are trying to, if we end up getting him toys. We're trying to teach him scarcity of material stuff. So he has got toys in his playroom and then stuff in the basement. And every time he wants to go down to the basement to pick up a toy, he has to give up something upstairs. Mm. And so basically he keeps on rotating and he keeps on experiencing all those toys as opposed to having like a pile that he basically ignores every day. We're trying to do some of the tricks. Joe, for instance, in our lives the other day, I wanted to go to a concert I'm like, oh, we did this impromptu. That was so much fun. We should do it again next week. I put it on our calendar, and promptly he declined it, saying that, no, you cannot put these things in your calendar anymore. <laughs> you guys have the cutest arguments so, I've ever heard. So he basically took this event off of our calendars for the week after. He's just like, no, we have to decide next week whether we want to do it all over again. And I'm like, what if we forget? And so now I'm being him. It's just like, if we forget, then it wasn't meant to be. So we're taking research and trying to put it in our lives and maybe overcomplicating it at times. Hmm. That's interesting. And um, lastly, I was wondering just just a little bit, uh, just because we touched on in the beginning, 
um, doing uh, anthropology in a mall and creeping people out and sending out red flags. How do you go about researching all of these stuff? We, we talked about like all of these conclusions that you're making and this is what you find. How, how are you? Are you just using grad students or? Uh, we use all sorts of students, so, uh, or all sorts of students, <laughs> all sorts of people as well and consumers. So we'll do stuff with undergrads in the lab where, uh, you know, in Celine's project, she was talking about scheduling. So they're either in a scheduling condition where they actually go to a calendar and they, they put it on their schedule and they mark it off or half the people will randomly be assigned to a condition where they don't schedule it or they roughly schedule it. And then you see how excited they are about, you know, going to Froyo with a friend or going to that movie. So you can, it's all experimental, uh, but we'll also do stuff online with online participants. So using Amazon Mechanical Turk. So that's you, you were kind of referencing Mechanical Turk, and I've um, you better I've, explain what that is. So this is crowd. It's basically crowdsourcing. So there's people that are online on on this Mechanical Turk website doing all sorts of tasks for pennies or even maybe a dollar or a few dollars. But they might be categorizing pictures or um, you know uh, translating podcasts. It might be whatever it might be. Uh, what we do is we'll put surveys up there so they can do our surveys and our experiments. Um, and they're usually short a few minutes and then we pay them to do those surveys. Um, and so this gets us a lot more diverse sample of people from 18 to, you know, 60s year old. Some are married, some are not to different income levels. So they're not just 18 to 22 year old college students that we're looking at. Uh, but we'll also go to the field. So Celine went out, um, and went to, Shakespeare in the park and started surveying people and whether they scheduled that event or whether they went to, went to that, to that play impromptu. And of course the people who scheduled it enjoyed the show less than those who didn't schedule it. Mm. So we, we try to show it from different people in different ways. Yeah. But Joe studies end up being more interesting if they're in the field. He just goes to the wine stores and observe people giving them different selections and whatnot. So the RA's research assistants that is love running his studies because they actually go, chocolate or wine or do whatever it is the context but like because he deals with assortments a lot it basically lends itself to grocery situations pretty well and then studying it in the field or something in a real consumption setup ends up being useful and and fun for everyone involved i think yeah i've given a lot of chocolates away in my life where people have to choose between <laughs> 30 chocolates or six chocolates and what that's gonna look like so ah that's interesting I, I I was interested in the mechanical Turk thing because I was like, oh, that's a fun way to like be involved in in science and and um, well, for me, I think many I haven't I haven't done one, but I imagine many of the questions would lead me to think of other things. Um, You're in luck. For, Joe is one of the experts, and we were just in our major conference, and he had like a room full of academics trying to hear what he thinks about what to do, how to do things in MTurk. He published a paper on MTurk data collection. Because I pick his brain is all you like. Because what kind of people are are per, because I'm just I'm a weird person by most people's standards. I'm a <laughs> di I'm a different kind of individual, and I have lots of free time. So it's like this seems like a fun idea for me. But I'm I'm wondering what. If, yeah. if you find any odd trends. Well, and that was the argument at first when, when we'd start publishing research or try to publish stuff from MTurk. People were, well, who are these crazy people that are willing to do a survey for 10 cents? And so that led to the research to show, okay, these people aren't really crazy. They are 
uh, well, they're just as crazy as the rest of us. If anything, uh, they you know they they show the same biases and the same they use the same heuristics, uh, but they're they're pretty diverse. And some people do it, yeah, because they're just kind of bored. Um, some people do it for supplemental income. Forty percent are employed full time. Twenty uh, percent are employed part time. It's about twenty percent students. A lot of people do it because like I could be watching TV or something and not making any money. And these tasks are mildly engaging and, you know, they're somewhat fun. Some are more fun than others. And I actually get to make a little money at it. So I'd much rather do that than sit and you know watch TV. So that's kind of what their, what their comparison is. Um, and then there's some people that are doing this a ton uh, and they, they, you know, they're doing these, these are called hits, these tasks, and, and they're doing it. There's a, a very small portion that do a ton of them all day long. Um, and then most people just do, you know, three, four, five tasks a day, and then they'll come back a few days later. Mm. Some people just get obsessed with them. Like, yeah. I, I'm looking for a new Sudoku, so. <laughs> well, you, yeah, yeah, check it out and see what you think. How I, do you do it? Different. How do you, like. So, uh, you go to mturk, uh, or, uh, dot com or mechanicalturk.com. Mechanical Turk. Mechanical Turk. Mm. Um, which is a reference to an old chess game that, was supposed to be an automated mechanical Turk hundreds of years ago, but there was actually a person in it. It wasn't really mechanical, so it was fake. The Wizard so that, of Oz. Right, like that. So the idea is that you're doing this stuff on computers. Is it really mechanical, or are there people behind it? But there there are people. And they're all Turks, right? You're right, yeah. <laughs> I am Turkish by origin, so it always tickles oh, me. Oh, I was going to ask. I'm glad you said it. Um, and well, awesome. Well, go on and go on and contribute to science, everybody. Um, uh, and and do your mechanical Turks? They'll give you a dollar, and uh, not even. <laughs> uh, they'll give you almost a dollar, <laughs> and research shows that if you're doing them, you might be a loser. But other than that, they're definitely worth um, doing. Hooray for science! Thank you, uh, Celine Melcoach. <laughs> yeah, nailed it. <laughs> and it's M A L K O C. And so you can decide what you would have guessed the pronunciation. And uh, and <laughs> and and Joe Goodman, uh, uh, thank you guys so much. This is yeah. a lot of fun. I appreciate you uh, giving me you. your time. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you everybody for listening. Make sure and send me some feedback next week on the program. I have. Uh, I'm very excited. I have uh, Dan Ariely, who's about as famous as researchers get. Um, if you are just hearing of him now. Uh, congratulations, and I get to give myself a pat on the back for introducing you uh, to him. Um, uh, go and, and check out some of his videos. He's done a bunch of TED Talks and Big Think things. I like there's an RSA Animate thing that um, he did that was really, really cool. If you don't know RSA Animate, again, you're welcome. Um, and let's see. Uh, he's he's a, a fantastic author and very popular science writer. He has written uh, Predictably Irrational, The Upside of Irrationality, and The Honest Truth About Dishonesty, all of which are kind of modern-day um, science writing classics as far as I'm concerned. We've already talked about some of his work on the podcast. I already know from episodes um, that aren't released yet that we talk more about his work with other researchers, and I'm sure I'll continue to in in the future. I don't have to bring up his name. Others do all of the time. He does amazing stuff. A brilliant mind. 
really quick-witted and super, super likable guy. Uh, was very gracious with um, his time, even though he has an exceptionally busy schedule. So do him a favor and listen in next week and um, and send me some feedback and go and buy all of his books so that I can get more guests like this on because I'm helping moving books for them and, um, and write them and tell them that you heard them on my program and all of that good stuff. And then I'll be able to get um, more uh, uh, big names like this in the future and uh, it will just help me get guests for the show so please check that out again send me your feedback to the here we are podcast.com website click on ask a scientist anything that you want to know about and i'll try to address it in a future episode you guys are absolutely fantastic and thank you for sharing which i'm presuming you're all doing um as i've instructed you to before so hooray thank you are we yes where are we here why are we here not entirely clear we are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all it's immensely bizarre here we are Hello, I'm Kyle Ayers. I'm the host of Never Seen It, the podcast where comedians rewrite famous movies and TV shows they've never seen, and then we give them a read in studio. This is a clip I want to play for you guys from an episode where Langston Kerman rewrites Scarface. He's never seen it, but he wrote a script based on what he thinks he knows about it. And here's a clip. Give it a listen. All right. Scarface, the new frontier. Interior. Happening discotheque. Remember when we call clubs discotheques? <laughs> LOL. The 70s were crazy. Night. The crowd bustles with young, hot Mexicans who are supposed to be Cuban and all are dressed in butterfly collared shirts and pants that look like Jinko jeans and pleated khakis had a really weird baby. <laughs> There's sex in the air and Poppy wants a whiff. <laughs> oh my God. Scarface, 22 to 45. <laughs> like he's a television audience demographic? Devilishly handsome. Not even a little bit Italian looking, so get that out of your dumb brain. Walks through the crowd with the confidence of a man who's going on MTV Cribs with the Ying Yang Twins. Does he actually have a scar on his face? Fuck no. Why would, he even, why would you even ask that? That's not important. What's important is that he is not at all a problematic stereotype and that he has come for his cocaine. As he approaches the red rope of the VIP, pronounced V-A-P-E in Spanish, oh my gosh. he spots his dear friend who is almost certainly going to become his enemy by the end of the film, Smooth Skin. Scarface yells out his signature line. <laughs> Ciao, Bella. It's me, Scarface. 